The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Stocks trying to keep the rally alive, besides, uh, despite actually, some new economic red flags. And speaking of those red flags, a new warning from one major European investment bank on the macro landscape that has its shares sinking in overseas trade. And another day, another record for U.S. retail gasoline and for diesel prices. Why it's likely only to get worse and worse as the summer rolls on. Plus, while the housing market could be showing some signs of a slowdown, we're talking affordability, rates, and inventory. And then later, a record-breaking deal for what is now the most valuable team in American football. It is Wednesday, June 8th, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning to you. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off this hour with a check on the markets and your money right now. Stock futures right now in the red right now. The Dow looks like it could open up about 100 points lower. All three indices about a third of a percent lower right now in the very early trade. Remember, it is very early. Averages coming off two straight days of gains. And despite that two-day rally, every index remains in correction or bear market territory. That means down 10 to 20 percent from its most recent high. The Nasdaq lagging the group, sitting 24.9 percent from its most recent high, which is actually also its all-time high. Now checking the bond market with the 10-year yield sitting just north of 3 percent this morning. Right now we're seeing it at 3.01 percent. you got to remember, this is a really rapid rise. Just two weeks ago from today, this 10-year yield was at 2.74. That's where it closed. Now turning our attention to the oil market. Crude coming off its highest settle since March. This morning right now, we're seeing it at 120 a barrel, up about a half a percent. Brent crude up 121 a barrel. you got to remember we're having some uh, data on U.S. inventories coming up later today. Also, more demand with China reopening, easing those COVID restrictions. And speaking of oil, the energy sector continues to surge, now trading at its highest level since September of 2014. We're talking names like EOG Resources. Diamondback Energy, ConocoPhillips, Valero, and Marathon Petroleum, all of them now trading at all-time highs. S&P energy sector up big. All right, look, look at the action in the cryptocurrency market right now. we got to check out, well, those are the oil markets, but the cryptocurrency market, not, not doing it well, just as well. Certainly not at its all-time highs right now. Bitcoin down a percent this morning. However, Cardano up about a half a percent, watching a lot of fluctuations here in what is uh, a lot of people calling the crypto winner. Let's get a check on the trading action all around the world. J.P. Ong is in Singapore with the overnight trade in Asia. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with the latest out of Europe. J.P., good morning. Let's kick it off with you. Good morning, Frank. And it was a good day for markets out here in Asia. This hump day from Tokyo to Taipei, city to Shanghai, most indices saw green. But we have to remember this is happening against a persistent sense of worry about these inflationary pressures. We heard from the World Bank today cutting their global GDP outlook by also warning of stagflationary risks. So central banks here in Asia continue to act. A day after the Reserve Bank of Australia hiked rates by about 50 basis points, it was the RBI's turn in India, also hiking rates 
by that amount in order to quell inflationary pressures there. You'll see there, though, that the Indian rupee not really reacting, actually losing a little bit of ground. In contrast, though, the Bank of Thailand also remained uh, decided to keep rates unchanged there in favoring growth, despite the fact that inflation jumped 7.1% higher last month. We, we see the Thai baht also weakening alongside that. But in the currency space, also worth noting, the Japanese yen weakening past that 133 uh, level against the U.S. dollar. That's the weakest we've seen the yen in over 20 years. And this also helping keep stocks in Tokyo up for the most part. Now, there's some interesting moves out in China today. BYD, the electric battery maker and EV maker out of, out of, out of the Guangdong today, seeing strong gains in Shanghai and Hong Kong. An executive told Chinese state media that they will support Apply Tesla with electric vehicle batteries very soon. But arguably the sector to watch was the Hang Seng Tech Index today. Chinese regulators approved 60 new gaming titles and a lot of these tech stocks started to take off. Among them, video platform Bilibili, which saw strong gains. And we also saw this also extend to the likes of Tencent. Alibaba and NetEase by the close out in Hong Kong. A lot of things and a good setup, at least for, for Chinese markets tomorrow, as we await Chinese trade data tomorrow morning. That's your Asia market wrap. That's how markets closed out here in Asia this Wednesday. Back to you, Frank. All right, JP. Thanks a lot there. Now to the early trade in Europe and Juliana Tattlebaum. Good morning, Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, here in Europe, it is red across the board. We've got every major region trading lower, but there is there are a couple of bright points to point bright spots to point out. The Spanish market is holding up best this morning. We've got Inditex, Zara's owner, performing very well this morning after a upbeat outlook, a upbeat set of numbers were delivered to the market, saying people are getting out there and refreshing their wardrobes as life returns to normal. But outside of that, we are seeing a negative sentiment. The Swiss market under performing down about half a percent. And there's one stock in there that is performing particularly poorly this morning, and that is in the banking sector. Credit Suisse this morning is down about 5%. This has the bank issued a profit warning for the second quarter, saying it expects to post a loss for the period, sending shares sharply lower to the bottom, in fact, of the stock 600. The Swiss lenders had weakness at the investment bank weighed down uh, by geopolitical and economic challenges would hurt earnings for the quarter. The lender added it would provide provide more details at an investor meeting on June 28th. We are seeing an impact not only on Credit Suisse shares, but also on the broader European banking sector. So clearly investors, they're worried about that, what this could mean for European banking uh, more broadly. All right, Juliana, thank you for that. The latest action out of Europe. All right, let's get to this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs is here with much more on that. Good morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Frank. Hasbro is reportedly set to prevail over a board challenge from activist investor Alta Fox, according to Reuters. The win for the toy maker would be a sharp blow to Alta, which had been pushing for the company to spin off its Wizards of the Coast and digital gaming units, arguing the company is mislocating its capital. Citadel Securities and Virtu Financial are reportedly building a cryptocurrency trading platform along with retail brokerages Fidelity Investments and Charles Schwab. That, according to Bloomberg, the market makers are developing a crypto offering that would increase investor access to digital assets. And advisors to the FDA yesterday voting overwhelmingly to recommend the agency authorize the Novavax COVID-19 vaccine for use in adults. A shot the drug maker hopes can become the vaccine of choice among some American vaccine skeptics. The panel of outside vaccine 
experts voted uh, 21 to nothing with uh, one abstention in favor of the vaccine for those 18 and older after discussing whether the shot's benefits outweigh risks. Shares of Novavax were halted before the market opened yesterday and did not begin trading again until after the close. Shares right now uh, just up fractionally, Frank. That's Good news for those who might have been worried about the new technology in vaccines. Maybe this will help give them more ease with this type of more conventional shot. Yeah, hard to believe we're still dealing with this pandemic after, you know, two years plus Bertha. Bertha, thanks for the latest. Good morning. All right, some breaking news crossing the tape just moments ago. The OECD becoming the latest international institution to cut its prediction for global growth this year. The group now estimates that global GDP will hit 3% in 2022, a 1.5 percentage point downgrade from its projection done just back in December. This comes after the World Bank yesterday also turned more negative on global growth prospects, saying that global GDP would reach 2.9% this year, down from a 4.1% forecast back in January. Let's bring in Lee Baker, president of Apex Financial for much more. Good morning, Lee. Thank you for being here. Hey, good morning. Happy to be here with you, Frank. So, Lee, I mean, we got that breaking news this morning. We're seeing more and more things that could be perceived as recession indicators or signs of a possible recession, including Target's profit warning yesterday. But despite that announcement from a retailer really of that magnitude, we saw the XRT retail retail ETF actually close in, in the green about a half a percent higher. Does that mean the market thinks that some of these recession concerns may be overblown? I think either overblown or, or mistimed. You know, we, we had uh, Jamie Dimon talk about a hurricane. I'm going to channel my inner Ned Stark, if you will, and say winter is coming, but it's far off in the distance. I, I just don't see all the ingredients necessary for a recession to be near term. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say necessary that it's overblown, but just more so mistimed than anything. Wow. Great Game of Thrones reference. Lee. I like you pulling that out first thing in the morning. Um, so we have two reports coming up today that are going to give us insight into the strength of the consumer and how inflation is impacting their spend on goods, as well as the, you know, the shift to services we hear so much about. We're going to find out, I guess, if winter's coming after all. I'm gonna, I just love this analogy. I'm going to keep going with it. Um, it's Campbell's Soup and Brown Foreman. That's the maker of Jack Daniels. If these companies report strong revenues and an ability to raise prices with the ability to kind of pass some of their costs on to consumers, does that mean the consumer may be stronger than some people think? Does that mean that inflation isn't hitting people as badly as we may think? I think this consumer is stronger than a lot of people think. Uh, when you look at some of the data from the banks, uh, consumers have a lot more balance or their balances are higher in, in their cash accounts uh, now than they were two, three years ago, you know, pre-COVID. Um, I think what you're seeing is, is for its past two and a half years, as you referenced, it's been so long in this pandemic, we were at home and we were buying things here at the home. We were remodeling building, you know, getting flooring and those sorts of things. So there's a lot more expenditures going on goods. But now as we're getting out of the pandemic, hopefully, you've got more people flying around and, and we're having uh, just massive numbers in the airports and driving around and going to festivals and those sorts of things. So we're shifting uh, where we're spending our dollars. And I think there's still a lot of dry powder left. And because of that, um, in addition to a, a strong jobs market, again, I think this winter uh, is coming, but just later on down the road. Lee Baker, we appreciate the insight. I was sitting here the whole time trying to think of who, what inner Game of Thrones character I could channel, but a lot of them die, so didn't know who to channel. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Lee we'll Baker, thanks that. for the insight. All right, when we come Thank back you, here man. on Worldwide Exchange, much more on Credit Suisse's profit warning, canary in the coal mine or an isolated incident. 
Plus, watching for red flags in the U.S. housing market, your real estate reality check. That's coming up next. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Shares of European investment bank Credit Suisse sinking in overseas trade. After warning, it will likely post a loss for the second quarter. This will be its third quarterly loss in a row. That warning putting a lot of pressure on the rest of the European banking center, including, excuse me, banking sector, including HSBC, UBS, and many more trading lower right now. Our Jeff Cutmore, who has been following the Credit Suisse saga for years, he joins us now from London. Jeff, what's the latest? Yeah, very good morning to you. Well, I think the market is not overly surprised, but clearly very disappointed by the fact that they're going to post a loss for this quarter. And as you point out, this comes on top of what we saw in the first quarter of the year as the bank uh, booked uh, something in excess of 400 million Swiss francs of losses. The trouble is people looked at that announcement at the time and they said, OK, we can understand that. They had a really difficult 2021. They had Archegos, they had Greensill, they booked a significant loss of $5.5 billion on the back of those stories. But things are going to improve. And unfortunately, what we saw in the first quarter, even though it was about the addition of legal provisions, They've shown that they haven't managed to get escape velocity to get away from some of the slowing trends in the IB business and in the asset management business. And we got a revenue slowdown in IB in the first quarter of more than 50%. And we got a a slowdown in the asset management business of over 40%. And coming into this quarter, the announcement this morning telling us that they don't see those trends turning around at this time. And I think that's the reason why we are seeing some infection, some some contagion, if you like, into the rest of the European banking sector. Because for the first quarter, people could say, well, it's about execution. It's about Credit Suisse-specific problems. Now that we've got this announcement on the second quarter, I think investors are doing the math and they're saying, hang on a second, this means that we've got slowing activity across the IB sector. That read across to other European banks is suggesting that they may also have the same challenges in that area and in asset management running through the current quarter. And that is not good news for the banking sector as a whole. So that's the message that we're getting from Credit Suisse here. Slower activity across the board, maybe as interest rates are tightening right now across the economies in the Western world. And that is not good necessarily for the bank outlook, even as I think most people would believe net interest margins should actually 
be improving for the banking sector. So the stock really taking it down on the chin off over 5% right now. Back to you. Yeah, I mean, we're watching that action. Read in, I'm reading in on this, Jeff, and it seems like Credit Suisse management just kind of can't seem to get out of their own way. Now, you already mentioned Arquigos, Greenskill, now what appears to be three straight quarters of losses. That stock is down some 30% this year. Will this boost calls for a change at the CEO level? Yeah, you know, Axel Lehman, the chairman of the business, told us uh, just a few weeks ago that he fully backs Thomas Gottstein, the CEO. Gottstein is, is relatively new as a CEO anyway. He was brought in to clean up this business, and he called 2022 a year of transition. Unfortunately, every time we think we know everything there is to know about this bank and some of its problems, there seems to be yet another disclosure. And I think that's why there have been growing calls for a change in the CEO position. Right now, though, I think even, is, even as those um, calls are out there, the chairman has no intention of replacing him at this stage. Axel Lehman very firm on the idea that he backs his CEO. And I guess we're just going to have to see what comes after this uh, second quarter announcement. We're still some weeks away from when the bank says it will give more information and put some numbers perhaps on this potential loss. But right now it seems uh, the management um, are safe that Thomas Gottstein will not be replaced. But of course, no one is expendable right now. And the shareholders are getting mighty fed up with this continual drip, drip, drip death by a thousand cuts of news flow from this bank. All right, Jeff Cutmore, the very latest on Credit Suisse. We appreciate it. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, the founder and CEO of buy now, pay later giant Affirm, breaking his silence over Apple's foray into that space. We're back right after this. Today's big number, $1 billion. That's how much money was lost to crypto-related scams since the beginning of 2021, according to the FTC. That's roughly a quarter of every dollar reported lost, more than any other payment method. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We get the latest read on the health of the housing market in just over 90 minutes with the release of weekly mortgage applications. 
Rising rates likely impacting demand. This as the collective amount of money that homeowners are sitting on with their properties. It rose at an unprecedented rate to $1.2 trillion during the first quarter, according to recent data from Black Knight. For more on the state of real estate, let's bring in Aaron Sykes, chief economist at Nest Seekers. Aaron, good morning. Good morning. All right, so Aaron, you shared some data with us that real home prices, those are home prices adjusted for inflation. They're 11% higher than they were right before the housing bubble burst during the Great Recession. What does that say about our current housing markets if we're seeing that kind of spike? Sure. So how we look at housing has changed, particularly since the 1970s. Before 1970s, housing was simply a forced savings plan, whereby the value of your home went up more or less in line with inflation. Then in 1971, we went off the gold standard followed by 1975 to 1995 appreciation adjusted for inflation of 9% in the value of your home. Then from 1995 to 2005, it went up another 73% adjusted for inflation. So housing became not just a great store of value, but also an inflation hedge and a real tool, especially for smart money people to grow their wealth. So now we're looking at the pullback in 19 or in 2005. And then shortly after just a few years, we bounced back with that same upward trajectory that we still see today. All right. So you say home prices have increased about 20 percent year over year. That's on average, though, still an incredible gain but much higher in a lot of the markets you work in, like the Hamptons, New York City, down there in South Florida, where you are right now. Um, And you also say that euphoria has a way of clouding judgment. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so across the board in the United States, we've seen housing prices appreciate about 20% year over year. But in markets like Palm Beach, we are seeing 200 and 300% appreciation. So What we're dealing with now, this new headwind, is really a normalcy bias, whereby we think that what has happened in the recent past is going to continue in perpetuity into the future. And we know that it's not rational to be able to flip your home every six months and make 20 or 30 percent. So what we have to do is pull back and and really look objectively um, and also take into consideration all of these other headwinds at play. That said, normalcy bias can be particularly dangerous because it leads to paralysis. And when you're paralyzed, you miss opportunities. So we could be moving closer and closer to that moment that all home buyers have been looking for. And you want to make sure that you are ready to go. You have all of your ducks in a row, all of your finances. You have some dry powder. So if prices really do turn uh, pull back, you're you're ready to make a move and you're ready to capitalize because these pullbacks, they don't last long. If you look at the housing um, bust down in 2008, it really was only a few months where you really had that opportunity to get in at the low. And of course, timing is the most difficult part of the equation. But if you're ready to make a move, you will have an extreme opportunity in the near future. So, Aaron, question, isn't it this also these uh, tremendous increases in home prices, supply and demand? I mean, I've seen data where we're short about three million houses here in the U.S. Also, a lot of private equity firms have started buying houses at scale, which has taken a lot of that inventory off the market. I mean, some of these gains are can you attribute them to supply and demand or is a lot of it just irrational exuberance? No, I think some of it is definitely attributed to supply and demand. And we are short housing units. And depending on the source you use, that's anywhere from one to five million units. So three is right there in the middle, that sweet spot. However, 
ever since 2012, right after the crash, of course, that took a lot of burden on home builders and a lot of businesses um, went out of business. So we're still playing catch up from that time. Um, we also have an extremely hot rental market. And because of the high prices, so many people have been pushed towards rentals. And a lot of investors joining uh, the likes of those large investment firms, a lot of individual investors that are taking on Airbnbs and income producing properties. So homes really becoming assets instead of just stores of value. Yeah, a lot of people buying homes expecting that great appreciation. Aaron Sykes, we appreciate your insights. Thanks for being here this morning. As we head to break, check out shares of Western Digital. The memory storage device's maker says it's reviewing strategic alternatives, including options for splitting off its flash memory and hard disk drive business. The announcement comes a month after activist investor Elliott Management disclosed a stake of nearly $1 billion in the company and pushed it to separate key business units. Elliott owns roughly 6% of the company. But first, during these volatile and uncertain times for the markets, CNBC is offering some perspective on how to protect your investments in the midst of today's market turmoil. Here's CNBC senior personal finance correspondent Sharon Epperson with a few quick tips on dollar cost averaging. Here's a tip for your money, your future. Contributing to your 401k, even when the market is volatile, allows you to continue to take advantage of dollar cost averaging. You're investing your money in equal portions at regular intervals, no matter how the market is doing. And that means when the market is going down, you're buying more shares with the same amount of money. And when the market recovers, you have more shares going up. So you're also not risking a lump sum all at once. For CNBC, I'm Sharon Epperson. Stocks struggling to keep this week's momentum moving after eking out a two-day win streak. Futures, however, pointing to a lower open. Diesel dilemma, the challenges truckers are facing when it comes to sky-high fuel costs and the impact it's having on the prices that you have to pay. And it's official, the heir to the world's biggest retailer landing the Denver Broncos for a reported record price. It is Wednesday, June 8th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back and happy Wednesday. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. Here's how the markets and your money look right now. Stock futures in the red down across the board. Dow looks like it's going to open up about 100 points lower uh, at the open right now. But remember, it is still very early. Now, earlier this hour, the OECD becoming the latest international institution to cut its prediction for global growth this year. The group now estimates that global GDP will hit 3% in 2022. That's a one and a half percentage point downgrade from its projection done just back in December. This comes after the World Bank yesterday also turned more bearish on global growth prospects. Now, checking the bond market. Always watching that 10-year yield. Right now, sitting just north of 3% right now at 3.016. you got to remember, really rapid rise on this. Just two weeks ago, it closed at 2.74%. Now to the oil market. Crude coming off its highest settle since March. This morning, higher as well. Up about a percent across the board. WTI crude at 120 a barrel. Brent at 121 a barrel. Remember, we have some data on U.S. inventories coming up later today. Also, more demand in China as those COVID restrictions ease. And the energy sector, it continues to surge, now trading at its highest level since December of 2014. That's your setup just about four hours before the opening bell. Now to some of this morning's top stories. Our Bertha Coombs is back with more on those. Good morning again, Bertha. 
Hey, good morning, Frank. A firm CEO reportedly says he's not worried about Apple's new venture into the buy now, pay later space. In an interview with Bloomberg, Max Levchin says compared to Apple's version of the service, his company offers more extensive and longer term plans. Levchin adding there's plenty of room for growth for all players involved in the space. Apple unveiling its pay later feature at its annual developers conference on Monday. Unlike similar services, Apple will be integrated directly into the wallet app on its iPhone. Meantime, a former senior executive at Better.com is suing the company, accusing it and its CEO, saying that they misled investors in financial documents in the bid to go public. According to reports, the former exec claims the online mortgage lender and CEO Vishal Garg misrepresented the company's business and prospects to keep investors on board with a planned merger with a SPAC. She also claims that she was forced out of her position at Better in February in retaliation for raising the issue. Better reportedly says it believes the claims are without merit. And the Denver Broncos landing a new team owner, the team entering into a sale agreement with the Walton Penner family ownership group headed by Walmart heir Rob Walton. According to reports, the agreement is for $4.65 billion, a record price for a North American sports franchise. Frank, the deal is now subject to review by the NFL's Finance Committee and then must be approved by other NFL owners. No issues are expected with that approval. If you were a billionaire, Frank, would you be buying a team? And which one? (laughs) Um, you know, I'm an Eagles fan, so I would like to buy the Eagles, just to be clear. But, Bertha, I am going to say I'm not a gambler and I don't have a billion dollars, just to be clear to everybody out there. But the Broncos are actually my Super Bowl pick this year just because of Russell Wilson. They traded for a new quarterback, Russell Wilson. I have so much confidence in him in that defense. Yeah. So, you know, I, I can't blame them, but I don't, it's hard to believe any owners would have issues with $4.65 billion, just to begin with. So, I, I wouldn't think so. <laughs> Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. Bertha Coombs, the Patriots fan. Thank you very much. All right, turning our attention now to a news alert around inflation. A group of moderate Democrats releasing a new plan laying out a number of steps for lawmakers in the White House to take a bite out of rising prices impacting Americans' wallets. Our Alon Moy joins us now with more details of that plan. Good morning, Alon. Good morning, Frank. Well, this coalition of moderate Democrats is releasing that action plan for inflation today and pushing the party to get tough on rising prices. The New Democrats are the largest voting bloc in the House. They call themselves the Get Stuff Done Caucus. And Chairwoman Susan Delbeni told me the voters have sticker shock and just want Washington to work. Good policy is good politics. People want to see, um, want us to show them that governance is working and that we're focused on these issues and moving forward. Now, several of the group's proposals go farther than where the White House is right now, especially on tariffs. New Dems are calling for broad relief from the taxes on Chinese goods imposed by former President Trump, even though some labor groups are reluctant to lift them. Moderates are also focused on nuts and bolts workforce issues like license reform, and they're calling for an overhaul of immigration, increasing the number of high-skilled visas and creating a pathway to citizenship for the Dreamers. In a letter out late last night, the New Democrats urged House leadership to spend every week between now and the midterms on an affordability agenda. They told me this should be job number one if Democrats want to keep their jobs when voters go to the polls in November. Frank. 
So, Alon, uh, I'm going to ask this question for a lot of people that might be listening to this on the radio as they drive to work. What do these new Dems want to do about gas prices? Yeah, this one is a thorny issue. They don't address it directly in the action plan because their members are frankly divided on it. There have been some new Democrats who have supported a federal gas tax holiday to provide that immediate relief at the pump. But there are others who say that's just robbing from the highway trust fund. And of course, Democratic leadership has warned that maybe some of the big oil companies may not pass those savings on to consumers. So what they focus on is continuing to release oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve But this is a good example of how Democrats have been sort of all over the place on inflation. And this action plan is an attempt by moderates to control the messaging, push their party to go further, all ahead of those crucial November midterm elections. Alon Moy with the very latest out of D.C. Thank you very much. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, have you booked a trip lately? The dramatic jump in prices, leaving many stunned and even rethinking those travel plans. Arsima Modi reveals the new tools being offered to help you save just a little bit of money. But first, watching shares of DocuSign rallying in pre-market trading, the electronic signature technology company announcing the expansion of its global partnership with Microsoft. The deal enhances the integration of DocuSign technology into Microsoft software applications. And Worldwide Exchange is back right after this. All right, welcome back. The cost of booking a trip, like so many other things, facing steep jumps in price amid a flurry of headwinds, including rising fuel prices and staffing shortages. Now, a number of travel companies are giving their customers some new tools to potentially save some money when you're out there booking a trip. Our Seema Modi joins us now with more. And Seema, I don't know anybody that doesn't like to save a little bit of money. What kind of tools are these companies rolling out? Frank, good morning. Summer travel has gotten so expensive, it's prompted more companies to unveil these type of products aimed to help travelers find new deals. Travel site Hopper, valued at $5 billion in the private market, just unveiled a suite of new products from trip protection, price freezes, and the ability to change reservations with a small fee of $30 when you book with them. Follows Expedia's rollout of a host of new products, including its price predictor, which helps travelers anticipate when prices could rise or drop. They're using machine learning capabilities to improve traveler self-selection by surfacing a wider range of options. TripAdvisor says simple as providing customers the ability to sort by price is becoming increasingly popular. Now, travel inflation is not only confined to vacation and resort markets like Hawaii. Thanks to warmer weather, tourists are returning to big cities in a big way. Hotel occupancy in San Francisco, Los Angeles rising above 70 percent for the first time since 2019. New York City now above 80 percent. And just to put prices into perspective, the average cost to check into a hotel in New York City right now Just around $300, that compares to the national average of $149. Hopper CEO Fred Lalone tells us that as travel gets more expensive this summer, he's betting that travel data and these products will become in higher demand. Frank? So, Seema, why do travel CEOs say lifting the pre-departure COVID test requirement for international flights is so crucial to their success? Yeah, Frank, this has been a big topic of discussion in the travel industry. A number of CEOs penning a letter to the White House saying lift that pre-departure testing requirement for individuals who are returning to the U.S., many of them saying it's becoming a source of anxiety for travelers. There was actually a new survey commissioned by the U.S. Travel Association that found over half of respondents of Americans say they are less willing to go overseas because of that testing requirement. 
Um, again, it's becoming a source of anxiety. People unsure if they'll be able to find a clinic where they can get that test in that 24-hour time frame before their trip coming back. They're just there's that risk of being delayed or of testing positive and then having to pay for an additional five to six days of hotel fares overseas before you're able to come back. Now, there was a meeting with the White House last week. It proved to be unsuccessful with White House officials and Dr. Ashish Jha. So they're still waiting for a response from D.C. as to when or if there's a timeline as to when this requirement will be lifted. I would point out other countries like the U.K. have done so. Yes, you know, I went to a wedding in the Caribbean and uh, definitely fingers crossed when you went to the clinic and got that test, because if you don't pass it or you're not negative, I should say, you right. got to stay for about 10 days where I was. So definitely very, a lot of stress there. That's exactly Our Seema right. Modi with the latest on travel savings. Good luck to everybody out there traveling and Seema, thank you. Speaking of travel, fuel prices are up again with new records for both gasoline and diesel being set every single day. Diesel's now averaging $5.71 a gallon, according to AAA, topping the previous record high back in May. This as supplies continue to tighten, impacting not only consumers, but also the shipping industry and the trucking industry. Joining me now is John Kilduff, founding partner of Again Capital and a CNBC contributor. John, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Good to be with you. So, John, we were actually talking about this. Um, Diesel prices at record highs past the record that they set back in May. According to AAA, 79 percent higher year over year. Big jump there. You're worried about margins when it comes to this rise in diesel prices, both for transport companies and for retailers, but not actually revenues. Can you kind of explain that? Sure. Uh, Look, obviously, you make something, you got to get it shipped either to someone's house or, or the store. Um, and, and, and that's going to cost. So, so the revenue is going to be there. The product's going to get bought. The problem is handling this now egregious input of fuel uh, for getting that good to market wherever it, it, it ends up. So uh, the diesel fuel monster is, is eating at uh, the, the, the several dollars that are paid for whatever the good is. And the inability, there is an inability to a degree, Frank, to pass that on penny for penny here uh, to the consumer. So uh, somewhere along the supply chain, these high diesel prices are being absorbed either by the uh, manufacturer of the good uh, or the shipper themselves. And the medium and smaller shippers, and in particular those last mile folks who uh, show up at our doorsteps uh, to the extent they're using diesel-powered vehicles, uh, obviously just getting hammered here Mm -hmm. and uh, not able to pass along these higher prices. So you can sort of see where the squeeze comes in here, where you have this higher cost basis that wasn't there before in terms of the fuel price. Yeah, John, we're just looking at some of your notes. You're, gonna, you're actually hitting on something I want to ask you about. Um, how concerning should this spike in diesel prices be? Obviously, record high prices are concerning for a lot of industries, but also the timing. Right now, we're at a period that is historically, at least, kind of a lull for the trucking industry. We're past the holidays. We're right before that summer produce season where a lot of produce is trucked around. And then we also have the fact that China has been pretty much shut down and diesel demand has been a lot lower because of that. So if we're seeing record highs right now going forward, what are you expecting? And that's the scary scenario, Frank. Uh, Also, too, the other thing that I had been able to take for granted for any number of years now uh, in the next couple of months is, is the harvest. Uh, agriculture demand, not just the vegetables, as you said, shipping around, but literally the the U.S. harvest uh, will be a factor now on squeezing uh, diesel fuel supplies uh, later in the year. So uh, to the extent, this is what we need to see happen. And last night in one of the industry reports, we did see a decent sized rise in diesel fuel inventories. 
Uh, we need to hope that that keeps up. I can tell you that the U.S. refiners on the east and west, east coast and the Gulf Coast, where the majority of our production of fuels takes place, uh, they're running full out at 98% of capacity. So they're trying. Uh, but again, you know, we have these lost supply, as everyone knows now all too well, from Russia. But also, too, years of sanctions on Venezuela and Iran mm -hmm. have also taken their toll, losing major suppliers. So, uh, Frank, right now we're, we're staring into the abyss here in terms of, of supplies. All I'll tell you is this, is that um, there should be some sort of demand response to these extraordinarily high prices, at least on the margins, at least for the folks with a, a pickup truck and a and diesel fuel run engine in their driveways, uh, if not somehow uh, right. seeing logistics get worked around to a higher degree uh, by the shippers to curtail their consumption as well. All right. So you're saying it's going to hit uh, transport company, trucking company margins, also retailers, but it's actually going to be accreted to the margins to oil refiners. Uh, you mentioned a, to me a few stocks, including ExxonMobil, Marathon. Um, how beneficial will it be for these companies that are already actually trading at all time highs right now? Yeah, was it Rumpelstiltskin who turned straw into gold? Because this is a similar <laughs> exercise right now for them. Um, <laughs> they're, they're making $60 a barrel plus. Uh, on, on a barrel of crude oil going through their units, uh, where they historically would make in the single digits uh, in terms of you know six, seven, eight dollars um, over the years too. Though when we've been in periods of economic lulls and, and oversupply and over refining capacity, uh, I've seen those margins negative. So this is uh, you know mana from heaven at this point uh, for them, and it's going to persist and it's going to add. The pure play refiners are, are just going to take it to the bottom line, but also to uh, the fully integrated majors like uh, Chevron, Conoco, ExxonMobil, uh, also too are going to see that pocket of their portfolio really, really uh, hit the bottom line and, and, and knock it out of the park. John, it was actually Rumpelstiltskin. I actually Googled it while you were talking. And thank you for bringing some golden <laughs> insights to Worldwide Exchange. We appreciate you being here. All right, on deck here, this you, week's friend. market win streak looking a little bit at risk as futures point to a lower open. Allies, Lindsey Bell lays out what you need to watch in the trading day ahead. And throughout the month of June, we are celebrating Pride Month. As we head to break, here is CNBC's Cassandra Francavilla. My son opened up to me about his true identity when he was a freshman in high school. His ultimate goal is to be a commercial airline pilot and fly internationally. But there are 71 countries where being gay is a crime and it's punishable by death in 13 of those countries. Pride is a perfect time for allies to commit or recommit to doing their part in achieving the best future for my son that's safe and fulfilling in any part of the world he finds himself. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, a busy day ahead for investors, including a number of earnings reports out today before the bell. We get results from Campbell Soup, 
Brown Foreman, maker of Jack Daniels, Ollie's Bargain Bin Outlet, and RV maker Thor Industries. Then, after the bell, Five Below reports, discount retailer. Then at 10 a.m. Eastern, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. She is back on Capitol Hill, going before the House Ways and Means Committee on President Biden's fiscal year 2023 budget. And speaking of the president, he's set to make his first appearance on late night TV as the president, at least, on Jimmy Kimmel tonight. Uh, going to expect quite a few inflation jokes. We're going to have to wait and see. All right, let's get back to futures. Seeing some pressure in the early going this after yesterday's outlook warning from Target and today's profit warning from Credit Suisse, two very different scenarios, but both stocks down sharply this year. Are these company-specific issues or canaries in the coal mine? Joining me now is Ally Invest Chief Markets and Money Strategist Lindsay Bell, also a CNBC contributor and a Pitt graduate like myself. Lindsay, good morning. Good morning. Go Pitt. <laughs> Always go Pitt. Hail to Pitt. All right, we've got to get down to business on this one because a lot to break down, Lindsay. Um, one of the things that you're really highlighting, I want to talk about the futures and everything else, is that things aren't actually as bad as we all thought they might be, even with inflation, even with supply chain issues. You say earnings estimates for Q1 were basically twice as good as estimates. So what does that say as we look forward to Q2 and beyond? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot has been priced into the market is the thing here. And when we look at the earnings outlook and we look at the profit outlook for corporations, there have been a lot of dire warnings and there have been one-off situations like a Target or this morning a Credit Suisse, which I think are very company-specific issues. But when you look at the S&P 500 Overall, the profitability profitability picture still looks very good. And I think that uh, that narrative, that negative narrative about profitability and earnings potentially being cut has really uh, ingrained itself into the system. But when you look at the data, it's telling you a completely different story. I think first and foremost, you got to look at what happened in the first quarter. Earnings came in almost twice as good as expected, a 9.5% earnings growth rate versus 5%. What's more is that that operating margins were significantly better than expected at 21%, a record high, versus 16.4%, the estimate going into the quarter. So right then and there, you're seeing that companies were able to manage through an even higher inflationary environment in the second quarter uh, very well. And, and their outlooks weren't cut significantly. The guidance that they gave um, was not significantly reduced on the back of that. Granted, I will say that the commodity price picture certainly was elevated going into the end of the quarter, and that's something that companies are grappling with going into the second quarter. And we'll hear a lot more about that uh, on the earnings call for the second quarter. Yeah, we're still going to have to watch those earnings calls. Uh, in particular, I think Campbell Soup and Brown Foreman are two really representative stocks about consumer demand, um, impact of inflation and things like that. So you're saying things are not as bad as they seem, but we've seen a lot of different companies, some pretty big companies issue warnings. Target yesterday obviously got a lot of headlines. Um, Credit Suisse this morning or Credit Suisse. I'm not ever sure how to say it just exactly right. Um, also, Microsoft a few days ago. What does this all mean when these big, giant bellwether companies are saying that they're going to have issues? Doesn't that mean that other smaller companies that people at least perceive not to be not as well managed will also see issues? Yeah, you know, I think that those are headline grabbing companies, you know, when they're cutting their earnings estimates or their profitability expectations. Sure, it's going to catch headlines. I think with Target and with Credit Suisse, it's, those are both very company specific issues. With Credit Suisse, it's a regional thing. Target, it's an inventory issue and it's a shift in consumer spending. Um, I do think that we, we have entered a period where economic growth has slowed down. You're in fact seeing 
places like the World Bank and this morning the OECD uh, cutting their guidance for economic growth for the world, for the globe, uh, over the last couple days. And that's really predicated on slowing growth in Europe and places like Russia and the Ukraine, not as significantly here in the U.S. But so even if we're entering the slower period of economic growth, companies are managing extremely well through this period. Now, there is pressure in specific sectors, like you mentioned. There are the consumer discretionary sector, for example, communication services, as well as the industrial sector. These are three sectors that we're actually seeing profit margins being reduced since the start Uh of the year. So I think that when you look at the market overall, together they can hang, but separately, it's going to be a stock picker's market here because there's individual situations that are occurring and you're starting to see it come out in these pre-announcements. Lindsay Bell, we got to leave the conversation there. Thank you for being here. And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.